Welcome to a jam-packed edition of Talking Texas. We are talking Texas football and recruiting this week with Mike Roach. Mike, we're back. It's an in-season Talking Texas, but we have some extra juice this week. Yeah, a lot of recruiting stuff going on, plus we already had planned to do our uh, high school football playoff preview on the state of recruiting, which took three hours. Um, and so we didn't want to throw all the recruiting news on there. So we're moving it here uh, and talking about what we would typically talk about there in the first segment. Two points. One, what a great call from us not to also talk recruiting on state of recruiting or else we genuinely might have gotten reprimanded for a four hour show. Like and then two, and then it would have been a Joe Rogan like length episode. Yeah, exactly. Which and two, even for us, I at last night once we got to the pick'em, I was like, "Oh man, this is ridiculous." So anybody who uh, made it through the full three hours, we appreciate you a ton. Um, getting our advertisers uh, their bucks worth for the uh, ad reads, and I think we're ready to go and talk about. What feels like the most exciting recruiting and game day weekend of the year? The Alabama game and visit obviously lived up to the hype. But when you're looking at the fact that there could be as many as like five, five stars and 20 to 34 stars on campus this weekend, it just kind of doesn't get bigger than this. Plus the primetime effect. There, Texas is actually a favorite in this game. Game day's here again. It's all setting up pretty positively for the Horns. Had I told you before the season, just looking at the schedule, like, bang, uh, a November matchup against TCU at home will be the big recruiting weekend of the year. TCU is going to be undefeated. Texas still has Big 12 title aspirations. You'd probably, especially you, Mr. TCU total under, would have looked at me insane. Off off air, we talked about how TCU under is by far the worst bet I've made this season. And I just really think that, I mean, it can't be said enough how dumb that was. Like, you you really tried to lead me to water uh, during the uh, preseason episode, too, where you're just like, I don't know, man, they kind of have a ton of weapons. But I was so focused on the instability at quarterback and – I took such a mini victory lap week one when they looked awful against Colorado with Chandler Morris. And then Max Duggan just kind of uh, really took control and evolved into a really fantastic quarterback. Obviously, the weapons with Quentin Johnston, uh, Savion Williams, Tay Barber, not even mentioning the fact that uh, Mount Enterprise's Kendra Miller has turned into what I think we all thought could be his ceiling, but at such a quick level. Yeah, such a quick uh, progression. The quarterback situation was a variable that I don't think either of us could really account for. Like, I thought they'd go over six and a half, but I did not see this coming. Um, I thought they'd be like a seven win team. So, uh, you know, good for them. We'll get a little deeper into them. Let's talk some recruiting first, though. It's been a uh, a big you want to start with dealer's choice. Let's recap what's happened so far this week. Uh, And Hudson, you can attest behind the scenes. We've been like week after week, just like scratching and clawing and looking for some substance in this class to report on. And there's just been, it's been nothing. It's been slow and quiet. And I think the, I don't want to say the like Texas success because they still have to win three, you know, three more games this year. Uh, A very tough one this weekend, obviously. 
but their relative success versus their two rivals, Oklahoma and a and who lose on a consistent basis now this season, uh, has caused a lot of movement this week. And, you know, we, we talked about Colton Vosick on an emergency podcast episode of the State of Recruiting. You can hear uh, on this feed as well if you go back. And we kind of really got deep into him. That was a huge flip. And then things started kind of moving with Anthony Hill. We, we heard it was a possibility going into the weekend. Um, and then coming out of the weekend, uh, it started to heat up and really like kicked off when Anthony Hill decommitted from a and Well, Mike, I think we're seeing something that unless you have a year where this has happened and maybe I'm just not thinking long and hard enough about this, but like the level to which Oklahoma and A&M have struggled, I genuinely don't think has happened in the modern recruiting era. So like when we talk about the three kind of key regional rivals with Oklahoma, Texas A&M and Texas, I think you're just seeing that this is the domino effect of when A&M and Oklahoma struggle to this level with a small caveat that LSU's uh, sudden success is kind of propelling them into some of these battles as well. But they're not the same regional recruiting competitor that Oklahoma or Texas A&M is because LSU can also go across the south. And with Brian Kelly have proven that they'll go up north as well to get prospects, right? So you have your JV and Tovianos, and I know Colin Simmons, who will be on campus at Texas this weekend, the five-star Duncanville edge, is also really high on LSU. Like, they obviously still have recruits in the state of Texas that consider LSU, but it's not to the same extent as Oklahoma and Texas A&M and Texas, who really, the lifeblood of their program come from the state of Texas. Yeah, and so I, I think it's leading into a really big weekend, um, we talked about, you named some names. There's Bravion Rogers, the A&M commit is going to be on campus. Um, I, you know, that was one that we felt was completely dead when he committed. Like there's some where we're like, yeah, there's a chance to flip here. Didn't seem like from what you had heard that there was much of a chance there. It, and remember he decommitted during the fall. And yeah. And everybody and everybody was like, okay, here comes Texas. And I kept on telling you, like, no, I don't think there's much here. And he promptly recommitted to AM in a kind of hilarious uh set of events. But with AM struggling this much, he's gonna be on campus this weekend. And I don't know, if the momentum uh <laughs> really starts going, I could see some movement there. I don't know if an outright flip would be what I'm projecting, but like enough momentum to where they could get this thing going in the right direction. And he's just one of, you know, a handful of other elite prospects that are committed to other schools. So you have a maybe for Peyton Bowen, the Notre Dame commit. DeAndre Moore, the Louisville commit, is going to be on campus. Jacoby Lane, who the more we kind of dig into his film is – impressive and seems like a fit as a big body X receiver, Jaden Greathouse, the Notre Dame commit, right, Mike? So there are just a lot of guys, not even including the Javian Toviano and Marcus deals and, you know, those prospects that aren't even committed to other schools yet. Yeah. Um, Jelani McDonald. Yeah. Jelani McDonald's another one. I think that I'm going to go back to two guys you mentioned because I've had like numerous people like, source-wise that have been like, you guys aren't talking enough about these two coming. And I feel like I've written three or four things about them. So maybe this will satisfy them. Jacoby Lane and DeAndre Moore 
um, I think could be candidates to finish off this wide receiver group. Jacoby Lane's a guy who Hudson, do you remember, was it late last week? I was like, Hey, a source just texted me like to keep an eye on Jacoby Lane. Um, was it yes. last week or two weeks ago? I can't remember. It was last week. And I was like, and I was going out somewhere for a game and I think I texted you, Hey, just uh, keep an eye, make, see if he gets offered or, or what, if anything pops. Uh, it turns out Texas went out to see him um, and really liked what he had, what he put down on the field. Uh, he's out of Mesa, Arizona, Red Mountain High School. And he's a USC commit, but Texas feels like they've gotten in here and getting him on campus, I think, you know, helps. And, and if they have a big weekend, I think you could see some movement here. This is a guy that people pointed to and said, don't be surprised if something shakes this weekend. DeAndre Moore is a guy we've talked about forever. One of my favorite prospects in this class. He's so athletic, so explosive. I love him as a receiver. I think he might be even better as a defensive back uh, in a weird way. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that Texas has chased on and off through three years of his recruitment. I met him when he was a freshman at Desert Pines. Uh, I was out there to see Javante Barnes. And he's a just a really dynamic pass catcher, really physical for his size. And I think that Texas has a really, a really good shot at pulling off the flip here. Here's a question I want to ask you about the wide receivers that are going to be on campus this weekend. Um, and I guess it's kind of a two-parter, right? How do you think the Texas staff is going to handle the three wide receivers on campus? And how would you personally handle it on who you would prioritize? Seemingly uh, two takes remaining and three guys on campus, all of whom are committed to other schools, uh, makes for a pretty interesting um, set of, I guess, you know, recruiting musical chairs a little bit. I think when you're holding the cards, you can be aggressive in the way you pursue this. So I think the message is, you know, DeAndre Moore, you're you're in regardless because you fit a need that we want, which is kind of the explosive outside Z receiver type. We, you know, I think they look at Jonte Cook and Ryan Niblett as primarily slot guys, although I think they feel they can move Cook around the, the, the pattern and put him in different spots. Absolutely. I think Niblett is primarily a slot guy. I think that DeAndre Moore fits that kind of uh, Z receiver outside that can go vertical um, and push. And then, you know, Lane and, and Greathouse are like the, your, your big body X guys. And I think that you could, you could say, Hey, we're, we're going to take one of these guys, whichever one is in first we're taking and, and put the onus on them to make a decision. I do also think we have it. Uh, we, I don't, Recall if you mentioned him in the quick rundown, but Deuce Robinson. Um, oh, no, no, didn't even get to him yet. I was saving the five stars for later. Yeah, Deuce Robinson is a major visitor. Coming yeah, up. I could almost see something where if they don't get Deuce Robinson, it's clear they want to find like another pass catching tight end body. And I don't think Jaden Greathouse is a tight end. Uh, at the next level, but I do think that he is kind of a, a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. So maybe instead of applying that number that they would apply to Deuce Robinson, if they missed out on him, they could say, Hey, we're, you know, we're just going to take some sort of flex type player. And we think you're that guy. I could see that happening as well. Something I've been thinking about too. And obviously, you know, this isn't the mentality that the Texas staff has because they want to win these recruitments, but 
at the very least, too, if you're able to just get these guys in on a positive visit experience, even if they do initially go to other schools, with what we're seeing in the portal, and Mike, we, we've had the first, um, I guess, inklings of that uh, portal uh, lead up, right, with a couple of sources, some parents of recruits hitting us up uh, as, you know, things get really interesting headed into the, you know, portal opening season, right? But even if you're not able to get them in the first recruitment, setting up a you know loaded visitor experience like this will help Texas if some of these priority guys end up in the portal in a year or two. Yeah, um, and I would say this. If you're going to the game, like do everything you can to make this as raucous of an environment as it was for Alabama. The feedback we got after Alabama from recruits was so strong. I mean, it, it, it felt like hyperbole, like Texas – Texas gets criticized on their crowd quite a bit. Um, and we had multiple like high level recruits being like, this was hands down the greatest game environment I've ever been in in my life. Like the stadium was rocking. Everybody was going crazy. Make it like that again. Not only does that yield you, you know, that kind of feedback from recruits, it also obviously makes it difficult on the opposing team uh, coming in playing. Also, <laughs> I, I see. I heard this from a number of recruits from that game. If you are in an, if you follow this pretty closely, and you see a recruit, if you're politely like, you know, hey, uh, you know, Jelani McDonald, what's up, man? Hope you had a great visit. That stuff, re- like that stuff, does help make an impact. Obviously, the people who are like, you need to commit to Texas right now, you like that stuff doesn't play as much. But if you're just kind to recruits on a visit and show that you know who they are, that feedback comes back to us a lot of the time, and I think helps enhance the visit a ton and makes them feel like you know. They, they really mean something to Texas. So, yeah, a- absolutely. Especially for a guy like Jelani McDonald, who we think a lot of, but isn't, you know, one of the guys that you see all over videos and stuff like that. He's not super recognizable. So if somebody like Deuce Robinson is like, hey, everybody recognize me, it's like, duh. You know, Arch Manning, duh. But if, Je- if a Jelani McDonald, if Jacoby Lane, DeAndre Moore – those guys, are like, hey, um, yeah, those guys are like, hey, people recognize me and they, uh, you know, were, were yelling out to me. That that kind of makes more of an impact on them. And a lot of the time they're wearing name tags as well. So if you're listening to this like, dang, I got to memorize these guys' faces. Well, maybe not. You can also just glance at the lanyard. Um, <laughs> also, I'm really happy you mentioned that about Jelani McDonald. He is a high four star. He's a top 200 prospect for us. But a lot of times when I'm pitching him as one of the most important guys, you know, he he gets kind of bumped down the list for other prospects. Like Jelani McDonald, I think, would be the fourth highest rated defensive commit if he pulled the trigger for Texas. Yeah, he's a whale of a player. And, and we think, spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to the state of recruiting, I think both of us had Waco Connolly playing a couple of rounds deep. So he's going to play a big role for them in that. Not to mention, and this is, we're getting way far down the road here, but if, if you can land Jelani McDonald, it helps you quite a bit with Kobe Black, who's the number one uh, overall prospect in Texas in 2024, a corner out of Waco Connolly. You've already got Trey Wisner, who's got a re- relationship with Kobe Black. Uh, yeah. Getting getting Jelani on campus as well, you're starting to build consensus to get the number one player in the state in 24 on your side as well. Mike, you know it's a loaded visitor weekend. 
when we haven't even really gone in depth on, in my opinion, the biggest recruit scheduled to be in attendance. And Denton Ryan, five-star linebacker, former Texas A&M commit, Anthony Hill. Oh, baby. Yeah, it, this one, you know, when, when Anthony committed to A&M back in the summer, it was kind of, okay, this was what we kind of expected. A&M had kind of ran out, run out in front, and they'd always kept this little bit of distance between them and Texas. At the time, leading up to it, a key source in that recruitment had told me, like, regardless of what happens now, whatever it is in November is going to tell the real story on this recruitment. Like, where is A&M at that point? Where is Texas at that point? I think things could shake. And and we had heard that maybe Anthony was looking at uh, making this move a little later in the cycle and then having a short window of decision leading up to signing day. He went ahead and made the call uh, to AM, decommitting from them. And I think that that opens up a lot of options for you because now you're not having to complete the flip. You're, you're just now you're recruiting another uncommitted player. And, you know, I think that they've, they put themselves in a good position. I can't speak about enough about the job Texas did with Anthony Hill over a period of time uh, going back to like his freshman year. Because his freshman year, I remember talking to him at a camp, and he had zero interest in Texas. It was kind of the same his sophomore year. Um, they did more under Steve Sarkeesian to build ground. And I know when, when Texas finishes second and we say, hey, look, credit to the staff for getting them in, even in this position, people roll their eyes because they want the win. This is what happens when you can do that. When you can put yourself in that runner-up position, you're, you're there to strike when something happens. I want to say this, too, and you might disagree, and if you want to tell me to F off with this point, that's fair. The rolling eyes that when we're telling people, hey, they did a really good job in this recruitment, like, watch it, that has to stop. You've seen last year with Kelvin Banks, Terrence, like, all these guys that they end up flipping. They flipped Colton Vosick from Oklahoma, which seemingly everybody um, – outside of the Texas market, especially, and especially us was just like, Hey, he doesn't want to be in Austin. Duh dummies. Do you not follow this recruitment? No, we basically compared him to Kelvin banks all year long. That ends up happening. I pulled up a ton of uh, receipts from, I think August Mike. And it's exactly what you were saying about like, look, if it comes down to signing day and Texas had a really good year, I think that they're going to flip Anthony Hill. And that's a, and that's uh, you know, potentially an outcome that could happen and i think we both feel pretty good about our crystal ball picks for the five-star linebacker so i think that any sort of oh these guys are just trying to spin you know blah blah no like texas under steve sarkeesian just does a really good job flipping their high priority prospects or making it interesting enough for them that if they do end up at another school they can come back to austin through the portal yeah, and I think with Anthony Hill, he has talked about taking this decision to signing day in December. And while I think that's maybe his plan now, it would not shock me at all if Texas can do enough this weekend. If you want to point back to like the Kelvin Banks recruitment, remember that when Kelvin originally decommitted from Oregon, he started talking about taking his decision into February. And Texas went in home immediately and shut it down and got the win. So I think they could do something similar on the visit this weekend. Um, and we'll talk about it a little later, but they've got to hold up there into the bargain. They're, they're, they got to Absolutely. win. Something I was thinking about too, 
like you mentioned earlier, Texas is uh, six and three. Real possibility to finish, you know, seven and five. So you don't want to talk uh, prematurely, right? But I was thinking about just if Kelvin Banks, if that recruitment had happened when Texas, you know, had some of the wins they do this year, if they are multiple games over 500, does that timeline even accelerate a bit more than it did um, into the early signing period? And I think that, especially with Anthony Hill, was uh, really intriguing. And Mike, remember when I think we kind of, uh, I, I especially kind of got my eye, uh, got people rolling their eyes at me when I went out and covered uh, mm-hmm. a game where I think uh, Denton Ryan played Saginaw. Maybe? Yeah. And Steve Sarkeesian and uh, Jeff Choate were there. And, you know, a lot of the feedback from, you know, national and Texas A&M people were, oh, they're just trying to hype this up, blah, blah, blah. No, like we really did have a decent read on this I, I'll just say a good read on this that with a good season Texas was in a really strong spot for Anthony Hill and they have a chance to close the deal this uh weekend and moving forward by the way if they do um uh, Jeff Choate has taken a lot of uh abuse on our board for his performance last year and I said last year I don't think it's all on him I think there were decisions made to allocate spots to other positions. And I think that he finished second in a lot of recruitments that had it just been in a vacuum playing for Jeff Choate, he would have won, but you you have to account, you know, some kids just don't see Austin or Texas as the fit for them. And they recruited a lot nationally last year. So you have a higher variance of those kids who, who don't click, but if they add Anthony Hill to a class that already includes Samaje Burrell, Darian Gallette, and Leona Lefau, who's going to be on campus this weekend as well. And then add Jelani McDonald, who looks like a star, a big nickel, maybe an outside linebacker. That's an elite linebacker class, and that's a guy that needs his uh, needs his credit. With Jeff Choate, again, if he ends up in the Texas staff, and obviously Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkeesian both deserve a ton, along with Pete Kwiatkowski, honestly deserve credit, right, for the Anthony Hill recruitment and the way that it's trending. But if Choate goes four for four a year after we were trying to tell people he's a really good recruiter, but again, like you said, they just allocated numbers um, away from the linebacker position, the apology needs to be as loud as the disrespect. Also, one other guy I want to mention that I've heard has been really vital in the Hill stuff, Chris Gilbert never stopped contact with Anthony Hill's family. He kept that running through the entire time. And we talked about him a lot. Chris Gilbert was really integral last season in Kelvin Banks, in Devon Campbell, in Nato Zulu, um, Cam Williams. Basically, he had a hand in most of the offensive line class. They have kind of told Chris Gilbert, like, just bird dog these kids in the Dallas area that you're from, you know, that are familiar with you and that you're familiar with. He does a really good job of connecting with parents as a former high school coach. He's used to it. It's not something new for him. I was told that he has been incredibly vital behind the scenes of this recruitment. And I think something that Gilbert does well, along with the Texas staff, there's such a fine balance between pushing for a kid and annoying the crap out of them. And the Texas staff, especially when I talked to Anthony um, at the Saginaw game, 
Like it was just so clear that the Texas staff found the right balance between letting him know, hey, we're going to recruit you through the whistle. All of us are. But at the same time, we're going to give you some space because we know where your head's currently at. But with your family, they never let up. And again, fruits of the labor are really showing uh, again ahead of this really massive recruiting weekend against TCU. I mean, yeah. Mike, I, I, again, a lot of premature talk, but if they were to get Anthony Hill, I think it's the third biggest get of the Steve Sarkeesian era with obviously Arch Manning has to be number one. And then last year I had Kelvin Banks as my number one prospect uh, that they signed. And I think that just the way that recruitment unfolded with the, you know, late, I guess maybe delayed a little bit flip from Morgan. Um, but again, that was kind of a circumstantial win, right? With Mario Cristobal going to Miami. This is just a straight up, this is just, a, it could be a straight up, uh, you know, monumental five-star win for the Horns. I think in a way you could argue it is the number one. I mean, I, I get Arch and, and that's a tough argument. I get Kelvin Banks. That's a tough argument, but the state, produces so few like elite players at the linebacker position plus plus position of need it's a giant position of need and we're talking about a guy that we have referred to at least i've referred to several times since his sophomore year i've been like i think anthony hill might be the best just pure football player in the state of texas you know like uh, rankings whatever projection but just when you watched it and ryan you're like that's the best player on the field every single time and it's been that way kind of since he was a sophomore and I think uh, 24-7 uh, national recruiting analyst Gabe Brooks put it good, too, that uh, Anthony's doing stuff his senior year that he kind of wasn't as a junior and sophomore. Like, somehow there is still a ceiling that he seems to be going towards. I thought that he could be tapped out as a, you know, just elite football player and maybe a second, third round draft pick, right, because maybe the verifieds aren't there, but... He's covering so well in space now that there might even be levels to his game that he can reach, which if you were an opposing offense, I'd be terrified at that thought. Yeah, you know, Anthony has played seven on seven every tournament uh, out there for years. And I've always asked him, I'm like, Anthony, you've got every offer in the world. You've got, you know, you're going to be fine. Why do you continue to come out here and compete? Um, when you could be doing other stuff and he's just like I just want to get better at coverage and I think that he's been at times when I've seen him in seven on seven brutal in coverage you know it's like line up your your small fast running back on Anthony Hill and he'll he'll victimize him he's just progressively gotten better that's a guy who invested in a part of his game that wasn't the strongest where a lot of times you see recruits who are like good at something and they just keep trying to improve on that and it's like, hey, you're already good there. Go build some other skill set. And Anthony has, has done that, and now it's showing results on the field. Do you want to quickly to just kind of wrap this up? Like, can we quick hit some of the names on here and just uh, see where things are? Um, um, uh, Cook is going to be playing the role of uh, lead hype man, lead recruiter on campus this weekend. And honestly, if you don't have Arch Manning on campus, Jonte has to be there. Yeah, he's like the next best thing, and and I I mean I think he's right up there with with Arch generally. Um, 
he has I don't I don't think he knows Jacoby Lane, but he does know DeAndre Moore pretty well from playing seven on seven uh, on the circuit, has played in some tournaments with him, has gone on some visits with him. Um, so I think that'll be important for him. Deuce Robinson, who we've just kind of touched on like two or three times, but haven't really gone deep in. There's so many dudes on campus. Yeah, Deuce Robinson, the five-star tight end from uh, Pinnacle High School in Phoenix, Arizona, is a guy that is probably um, a day one contributor at the tight end position uh, for Texas. He fits kind of that, uh, I would say, Jaleel Billingsley type role of uh, being able to just go vertical from from uh, the tight end position can also line up wide is a phenomenal baseball player. He's on his official visit. I would expect David Pierce to get involved in this pretty heavily Absolutely. Uh, and, and try to pitch the combo of Texas football and Texas baseball. He's looking at USC and Georgia, which um, I don't follow college baseball enough, but it feels like those are also pretty strong baseball programs. USC historically is Georgia. Oddly enough, not, not as much, which you would think them in Alabama would be, but uh, not as much. And he is a legit, like, star oh, yeah. baseball prospect. Like, if he wanted to focus on baseball, I think he could get drafted from the people I've talked to. From what I read, it seemed like it seemed like if MLB teams knew he wasn't going to pursue football, he would be a pretty high draft pick. Um Another guy I wanted to mention, uh, Colton Vosick, making the short trip. Uh, no surprise there, but just kind of funny uh, <laughs> as we scroll down this list. You mentioned uh, it earlier, but go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, nope. you're you're uh, good. Go ahead off. Um, <laughs> um, chance for all linebackers to be on campus this weekend. Darian Gallette, Leona Leifau making the trip. That's awesome. Uh, really happy for him. Yeah, Texas uh, got uh, lucky with um, the scheduling of Hawaii playoffs. So, like, Leona played his uh, league championship last week, and then they have, like, a two- or three-week break before they start the playoffs. So he just has nothing this weekend. They were in the States, uh, in California, visiting family, and decided to make the trip down to Austin on an unofficial visit, which I think uh, says a lot, especially when you've got schools like Tennessee and Oregon pursuing him so hard. Spencer Shannon will make the trip, uh, as will Andre Kojo and Connor Stroh, who have basically been regulars for most of the Texas home games this year. And then quickly in the 2024 class, Texas commit Aaron Hampton's going to be on campus. My guy Terry Bussey is making the trip uh, after his first round game, which I'm really excited about. The Timpson uh, top 24-7 athlete is really special and is putting together another uh, breakout, I mean, not even a breakout, but just another really great year for the uh, 2A D1 number one team in the state. I know you're with me on this. I think when we get to, he's a three-star right now. I think that when we get to this time next year, everybody's going to be talking about Dakaius Brinkley as an impact player in that Brink. class. That's a big one. Um, the Katie Seven Lakes said she's the son of Jasper Brinkley, the former NFL linebacker who we met uh, during the elite camp and looks like he could still take snaps to this day. Um, and he he's having a phenomenal season uh, at Seven Lakes. I think he's going to be a guy that when you're looking for edge talent, he's going to be right up there among the best. If Dak Brinkley was at a like brand name high school, I think he would be a four star right now. He just did, doesn't play enough like high profile games for him to really – 
um, I guess, command the spotlight. This, You know what I mean? Sometimes the yeah. kids that go to the suburb, you know, seventh or eighth school kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit um, earlier than, uh, you know, opposed to a guy that's at a, a Tascacita, Duncanville, Longview type of um, school that commands their own media coverage. And Seven Lakes is not very good. No, not at all. But when you turn on his tape, Mike, it, it just screams perfect fit for PK's defense. And I think that's some of the feedback we got from sources after the Elite Bash uh, recruiting event in camp. Two other names that we breezed over in the 23 class, Marcus Deal, uh, the yes. four-star defensive lineman from uh, Garland, Naaman Forest, on official visit this weekend. Um, TCU's picked up a couple of predictions in the last week or so from, from different sites. I still think Texans has a chance to make a big statement this weekend and and possibly get him in. And then JV and Taviano, who <laughs> has been the uh, the one that we've chased all year, and and he's uh, he's the epitome of never let them know your next move. Uh, kind of that, that is so funny. I never even put that together for Chavian, but he quite literally is. As soon as you think that he's entering the driver's seat and is just going to, you know, accelerate out of the parking lot, he somehow does a magic trick and pops out the trunk. Like yeah, he he we we finally thought we had clarity on where he's going to end up. I felt pretty confident in putting in an LSU prediction, and then two days later, it's like I don't know. Uh, hold the phones. Yeah, it's uh, they've got a chance. This is his first time on campus since January. Um, he's a need. They need uh, another legit corner. He is a legit corner um, in this class. And so I think if they can make a statement with him as well, that would be big. Yeah. The fact that Marcus Deal, one of the, you know, guys that we've consistently covered all fall, and is a top 100 prospect at interior defensive line, which is absolutely a position of need when you consider that Keandre Coburn's going into the draft. I think Tavondre Sweat's going to be a draftable prospect. Who knows what they're what the NFL thinks about Moro Jomo, right? But like there will be some roster churn there. And we kind of glossed and it's my fault I'm the host, but we glossed over the fact that he was on an OV until you picked it up. Like that's how loaded of a list we have. And again, we're finding out more and more names as we uh, just get closer to Saturday, right? Um, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, the Folsom quarterback that is in the 2024 class. Um, uh, Mike, do you remember his Yeah, name? I've got Austin, Austin Mack. What a name yes. for Texas, by the way. Austin Mack, who's a six foot six, 210 pound QB out of California that seems to be getting a look a week after they offered Trey Owens from Cy Fair. Like, that's a really intriguing name for me. And he'll probably be like somewhere between the 25th and 30th, you know, prospect uh, on campus. Yeah. So, really big weekend. We'll have a lot of reaction coming afterwards. Um, we're going to try to get stuff, you know, day of, but it's always tough when those guys are on campus, uh, to get them immediately. We will, we'll do our best, but, uh, stick with us throughout the weekend should be uh, a lot of fun. You want to move on to talking about some football? Yeah, I think we have to really not super quick. However you want to pace it, Mike, but just when we're, you're thinking about the Kansas state game, it feels a little bit like more of the same with the first half and, um, second half. 
issues. But at the same time, when you get the dub, it kind of does nullify a lot of those concerns to a certain extent. Yeah, and those those issues have kind of seemed particular to road games more than home games. Um, it is distressing. They've got it is a trend, um, and they've got to figure out how to not have the offense disappear in third quarters and and make those games tight. That should have been, you know, probably a a pretty easy victory over Kansas State that they made a little more difficult than it needed to be. Um, I am looking forward to seeing if Quinn Ewers can kind of find his true form again back at home. I, I didn't think he was bad against Kansas State by any means. No. Um, he just hasn't been as spectacular since that Oklahoma game. One thing that interested me is that the uh, splits for rushing first half versus second half are not very stark, but when you get into uh, the passing output and overall attempts, it does seem to be declining. I'm curious this weekend if you have the same sort of um, if you have the same sort of uh, you know a- outcome with the game where Texas gets out to a first half lead. If you don't see Steve Sarkeesian try to be a little bit more aggressive in the second half, but at the same time, shoot, they were aggressive in the second half on the opening drive against Kansas State, and Xavier Worthy you know gets his clock cleaned and fumbles right so. That's a little bit freaky. When you're looking at the Kansas State game, too, something I found interesting, Texas has two turnovers and the Rashawn Johnson first career fumble and just a, one of those true freaky plays. I think it happened to um, – I think it happened to Armani Foreman once in a similar situation where he's running into the end zone basically and just gets it stripped from behind. But for that to happen to Rashawn was shocking. And then the Xavier Worthy kind of freak play at the NFL level, they'll teach him just to get down immediately and not even try to make the play after you convert the first down. But Texas has those two fumbles, both recovered by Kansas State. Kansas State has three fumbles and an interception, but only end up with two turnovers because um, I think, oh, I cannot remember his name, but the uh, white tight end makes a really smart play and basically uh, – Tips the ball away. Yeah, it was tips the ball away. Exactly. That was the most like, can 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 Texas just fall on a fumble? <laughs> like there were so many balls up for grabs and they just couldn't seem to fall on them. I think I think there was legitimately, I felt a like collective panic across the fan base, me as well, when Tavondre Sweat and Baron Sorrell, and I don't think it was like earlier this year with Anthony Cook and DeMarvian Overshone, where you can fault either one of them for not falling on the football, but at the same time, the ball is just bouncing towards the sideline and neither one of them can fall on it. And again, Tavondre Sweat is full sprinting at like 350 pounds, so respect to him for the effort. But at the same time, I was like, man, they're really going to score and get a two-point conversion and get out of here with a 35-34 win. Two things I noticed up front. Um, the front, uh, the defensive front was really good again, especially Keandre Coburn. And had he been, I, I don't want to be this guy, but had he been called for holding the number of times he was held, uh, would have would have been more of a force. And then early in the year, it felt like with Kelvin Banks, we were talking a lot about, hey, how impressive is his pass blocking? But like, he's not really there in the run blocking yet. He is now like burying people in the run game. Uh Mike, we talked about it a little bit on the lead up to the Kansas State game. A pretty consistent first team all Big 12 nominee and likely will be a unanimous selection. 
Kelvin Banks just absolutely put into the turf multiple times. And then in pass protection, he's almost flawless every week. Yeah, I've been waiting for him to have the freshman game, and I'm just – I'm maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot by jinxing it here, but, like, I think he's just past that now. I think he's he's past that threshold where it's like, okay, we're still adjusting. It's This is what it is at this point. Crazy take, maybe a, a homer-ish uh, shout. I think that he's progressed past the only freshman All-American. I think he deserves a real look to be a true just – first or second or third team All-American, depending on how you view uh, Peter Skronsky at Northwestern, who is having a good year amidst a really bad year for the Wildcats. But like Kelvin Banks is just consistently so dominant. And I want to give a shout out to the Texas interior offensive line, who I thought was really good against a pretty uh, intriguing Kansas State front. Like Cole Hudson, I think, had one or two mistakes uh, that really showed up on rewatch, but nothing catastrophic. And Jake Majors and Hayden Connor, Hayden Connor, obviously with the probably block of the day out in space when they run that uh, short side toss, which eventually when they ran it the second time got blew up. But, you know, like the offensive line's just good. Fans and I think analysts alike should just trust Kyle Flood is going to get the most out of this unit. I kind of hate that play, by the way. Like in any situation, I hate that play. But it is a one-time tendency breaker for me. Like maybe run it two, three times a year. But any if if it is a staple of your offense, Clemson runs it a ton. Mississippi State under Dan Mullen used to run it a lot. Not 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 the biggest fan, but you know when you, when you break one, you break one. And I think uh, Bijan Robinson's probably looking at the tape, wondering how he didn't score, but. He'll definitely be excused for that, considering that he had another uh, 200-yard, just extremely impressive performance where he kind of put the boys on his back. Yeah, last thing for me on this game is um, how good was our preseason Jalen Ford prediction? (laughs) I mean, by the way, Texas isn't where they are with Anthony Hill without the performances of DeMarvin Overshone and Jalen Ford this year. They've shown growth. They've shown development. And that's what kids want to see on the field. Um, so I thought Jalen Ford, every time I looked up, he was just in the mix, getting into plays. He's so good, man. I I, I really love that kid. And I think he's going to get some draft buzz this year, and he's going to have an opportunity to leave. I think if I was advising him, I would almost talk him into one more year because I think with one more year, he could really improve his stock if he plays like this. With Jalen Ford... I don't think that there's anything he's doing that's like fluky, right? That's well, a lot of times when underclassmen go to the draft, it's if you cash in on almost like a contract year type situation, right? And you're like, listen, I don't know if I can get six picks and three forced fumbles again. Let me go ahead and ma- like, but I think that he's just a really good player that gets into great spots. Like, I, I think know. like your example and I think he was a good player, but Deshaun Elliott really capitalized. I was going to, I was going to mention Deshaun Elliott, but on his run. Yeah. I mean, like had a bunch of interceptions and you know, when your stock's hot go, but I think Jalen Ford is a guy that a lot of teams are going to say, we're really intrigued by this. We would love to see like another year. He almost reminds me in a weird way, uh, a former lone star middle linebacker 
Nick Bolton, who's now in the NFL, oh, um, and, and did similar things. And people kind of underrated him. And then all, all of a sudden now he's logging like starting snaps for the Chiefs, I think. Yes. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great call. I you're you're absolutely right about that. Um as far as the rest of the game, I do want to give a just minor shout out to Michael Taft. I think that he probably had two plays that stick out, uh, you know, negatively as a sore thumb, but overall he's just in the right spots and makes a lot of really smart plays. So obvious, ideally you would not want him out there, you know, playing 60 snaps a game at nickel, but if if you have to play a walk-on, I want it him over basically any walk-on that's played at Texas in the past, like, you know, 15 years. Yep, I agree. All right. Uh, anything else on the game before we go to go forward? I don't think so. Let's head to the break, Mike. All right, and we are back. Lovely ad read, as always. Some people are tired of this bit. I'm not because I truly believe it. <laughs> TCU, opening thoughts. Spreads at Texas minus seven was at minus six and a half for a while leading up to it. Obviously, um, that's a big number considering TCU is undefeated nine to now the number four team in the country, according to the college football playoff rankings, which are definitely real rankings, right? Not a bunch of goobers just sitting around in grapevine, just, you know, throwing darts at a board. Yeah, I... Um... I was shocked to see the line. And Hudson, you mentioned like a couple of weeks ago when, like, I think it was actually last week when Texas was favored that you're like, Texas is going to be favored in the rest of their games because yeah. the nerds love their, love their analytical numbers. Um, I don't get into the analytics of football that much. I don't really understand. I, like I kind of a loose understanding what S and P plus is, um, but it's not something I drill down on a ton. I, think that Texas has been a <laughs> in some years they're like statistical anomalies the other way where it's like they're winning games but people are looking at them like how are they winning these games because the the numbers don't uh, don't bear that out but uh, I was surprised to see them a touchdown favorite I thought if anything maybe a, if they were going to be a favorite maybe a two or three point favorite um I think a lot of that might go to a note you've heard this week uh, regarding the health of Quentin Johnston. That might uh, be influencing the spread a little bit. Yeah, I teased it on the board without releasing the name. Um, but, I mean, if you've been following – no, no, you're good. If you've been following college football this weekend, I mean, you've heard the rumors. Quentin Johnston has been dealing with an ankle issue for the past three weeks – really kind of struggled against Texas Tech to complete the game. My gut tells me that he will play because he's just such a fierce competitor. But at the same time, when you are kind of set to be wide receiver one in the draft and have generational wealth on the table, I don't blame people in his camp for maybe thinking, hey, let's really prioritize the ankle health and not risk, you know, 10 to 12 draft slots, which, you know, equal millions of dollars. And it's very easily to, you know, be the, you know, armchair quarterback, right. And say, well, he should just play through the pain. Cause you know, when I was playing ball at, you know, Breckenridge high school in the sixties, no, like, you know, the, these are real considerations that have to happen. And if you're TCU and you're serious about a playoff run, you know, maybe you want him healthy for a potential semifinal. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's I will start say though. I will say though, at most, that would probably be like a one-two, one or two-point 
uh, jump for the spread, right? Like they're not yeah. moving the line five points because of Quentin Johnson. The real reason that the line is like this is because they want to get it to a round of football number where you're going to get two-way action on TCU. Because again, because the analytics nerds love Texas so much this year, all of the big players in Vegas have their models. And if they get a certain number, auto bet big numbers. So to prevent so much money from being on Texas, who again, Vegas and their own models understand, you know, on paper or analytically is the better team. You have to, you know, tempt the public to get two-way action uh, if you're, you know, the odds maker. So in reality, I think that if you're not trying to solicit bets from people, it's probably like a three or four point spread. But because you want to get to that football number, I think that's where the, um, you know, you know, bookkeepers end up making this uh, line around. Let's start with this. There doesn't like, I don't know, just my polls on reading the fan base and reading kind of nationally, everybody's talking about Texas as the trendy pick here. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for you? I don't know. I, considering I felt like a lot of people were on Texas last weekend because there was such a, you know, and this is going really big into college football gambling brain, right? Which I know some people don't care about, but when Kansas state beats Oklahoma 40, uh, was it 48 to nothing or Oklahoma state? Oklahoma state yeah. Oklahoma state, 48, oh. nothing. I think. Yeah. Right. Uh, Oklahoma lost 49 nothing to somebody, I believe. So maybe that's why that was on the brain. Um, but when they do that and Texas is coming off of a bye week and Texas opens as a, uh, I believe, one and a half point favorite and gets bet up to three, three and a half. It just signals to everybody that bets like, hey, this there's there's some sort of, you know, advantage that Vegas sees because obviously if you're just looking at it on you know a box score watching basis you take the team that just won 48 to nothing over a team that you know beat Texas but it doesn't work out that way and again I think that with maybe a few bounces going Texas's way that could have been a two-score game against Kansas State so it's really interesting to me what I worry getting into the scheme part of this, and you were right about this person preseason. And if you listen back to our podcast, which I actually did, when you brought up this person's name, my tone kind of shifted on TCU because of how much I love this prospect. But even if Quentin Johnston can't play, which again, right now, depending on health, I still kind of gut feeling think that he will. But Savion Williams is a more than you know appropriate uh option that they can turn to for their big body receiver the fact that they have tay barber and kendra miller too like there are so many off offensive weapons and mike i want to give you credit because you joked about this too oh, okay we need a third guy to step up into the wide receiver rotation how about uh five-star jordan hudson true freshman yeah was not a five-star for us but was but for some people but you know a really guy a guy that we've got a ton of uh appreciation for and saw a lot during his high school career as a guy that could make go make big plays, um, go make uh, you know vertical plays, can make them in the air, and he's had his impact already as a freshman at, at TCU. The thing for me is um, this has to be the year that Texas gets the Max Duggan like monkey off their back. He has been uh, no, I don't think he's killed a team more than he's killed Texas um, in his time at TCU. He's had some. 
Uh, two games I can recall off the top of my head where he's gone and pulled out like last minute victories. Uh, one in or both in Austin, weren't they? Um, <laughs> I think so. Gosh, or no, one was at TCU. Uh, yeah, one was at TCU. One was in Austin. But uh, yeah, he's he's playing at a level we did not expect, as we talked about a little bit earlier. And he can hurt you in both ways, in the pass and the run. So uh, Texas has shown that that they are a little bit vulnerable to quarterback run game. Um, I this is a, as dangerous to me of an offense, including Alabama, that I think Texas will face this year. A big part of that is Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes' combination as the head coach and offensive coordinator is really special. I've posted this, uh, you know, clip in our various group texts that we're in, and I think I might have even tweeted about it earlier in the week. But against Oklahoma, TCU ran what they call this orbit motion QB super counter with Max Duggan, and it was kind of one of the plays that sealed the game for TCU where he just (laughs) kind of went nuclear on the ground. And that's such an element that Texas really hasn't had to defend a ton this year. In the scheduled um, QB run game, it's hard not to think, and it's such a silly comparison because Jalen Hurts is just clearly uh, turning into a you know good to great NFL quarterback. But how Riley runs this TCU offense reminds me a lot of what Lincoln did at OU with Jalen Hurts in the QB designed run game plus the dynamic uh, options at wide receiver. Like it's. I think that there have been some offenses this year, Mike, that we've kind of scoffed at when people have said like, oh yeah, Texas needs to worry about them. You have to be concerned with this defense going up against you know, the you know litany of weapons that TCU has. Yeah, they can just hurt you in a lot of different ways. And, and the one thing Sonny Dykes and, and Garrett Riley do well is scheme offense. I mean, they're, they're really good at it. It's how they got to TCU. It was, they were really good at it at SMU. They, they put up points. And so um, let's flip over to the defense. Here's a big, like uh, a big note is Texas won't have to see D winners on the field for the first half of this game. That was such a massive moment, especially considering I view D winters as a potential like Jatavian Sanders stopper, right? Where he's a rare linebacker that matches up very well with the, you know, the Texas tight end game. So not having him for the first half really opens up a lot of uh, stuff for Texas in the past game, along with the fact that he's by far their best fitter of the run, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think if you're looking for, the advantage it is getting out to the big lead and then trying to defend it. Although there is, you know, talking about the second half struggles and things like that, it almost makes me wonder if a, a shootout doesn't benefit them more than trying to hold a lead in the second half. Yeah, no joke. Uh, another thing with the D winner stuff, I always feel this for defenders. I have no idea if the actual uh, data or, you know, anecdotal experience backs this up, but I do feel like there's almost somewhat of an advantage if you can make it through without a defensive starter is just getting them fresh for the second half. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you're, you know, maybe that's too much of a spin zone. I don't know. No, I think there is something of like, Hey, we're without one of our, like when Texas, uh, Marvin Overshone. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what was the game. Was it, PSA. Yeah, but what was the game, the next game after he got? Texas Texas Tech. Yeah. So, like, I think had they uh, – maybe that shoots your point to death. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe my point is just not very 
yeah, I remember. I remember. Okay, he's coming back in the second half. He's going to be fresh. He's obviously going to be motivated, and you know your team has survived without him. So you're going to be kind of amped up to get him back. I, I don't know. It obviously varies. It's. I don't think you can hang it on that one thing, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that one ruins your point there. Um, yeah. well, you talked about him a little earlier. Can we like really dive in though to how like is Kendra Miller the best running back they faced this year outside of Jameer Gibbs? Probably, yeah, I'd have it Gibbs one, and then I mean, I think you probably it, it's interesting, right? Because I do think that Deuce Vaughn is a very good running back, but it almost feels like facing a knuckleball pitcher right to where even if the stats and the numbers are great like you can have an approach to you know facing this sort of unique threat that kind of nullifies compared nullifies it compared to just a true good running back and I think that Kendra Miller's uh, an eventual you know day two potentially type of NFL talent he's so good the contact balance that he has there's going to be at least one or two plays when Texas should have him down and he ends up putting his hand on the ground and getting an extra, you know, six plus yards that he really shouldn't have. Wrapping up is always crucial. It's one of the kind of fundamental coaching points of football that you hear hammered every single week, all the way up to the NFL level. But this week, I mean, it's just so imperative against a ton of TCU cats that if you give them the chance to make plays after the catch or after first contact, they're going to make you pay. By the way, they can, they've got a combo of backs they can throw at you. Amari DiMercato is a guy that I think has stung Texas in the past. Didn't Ryan kid uh, Bailey. Amani Bailey is, is really has, has played a nice little role. He doesn't have a ton of, of uh, output this year, just 18 carries, but on those 18 carries, 183 yards. So he's running for 10 yards carry. Uh, he had a carry last week that was, or maybe it was against West Virginia that was really impressive and kind of showed his ability as a change of pace guy. Yeah. And then going back to D winners, by the way, I'm looking at their stats and saying, okay, who's their big, who do you have to worry about in the pass game? D winners is the guy you have to worry about as a pass rusher. He's yeah, absolutely. Six and a half sacks on the year by far leads the team. So not having that in the first half, I mean, the next closest guy to him, um is uh is Dylan Horton with two and a half sacks so um I think that that it can't be understated how big it is that Texas won't have to see winters uh in that first half the guy I love on TCU's defense and I think just kind of does everything for them on the back end is uh Travis Hodges Tomlinson I think he's such a good player um, he's a guy that you've got to account for because he, he's he's a little bit of a honey badger uh, when it comes to busting up plays, getting his hands on things, um, and, and and just kind of being you know one of your elite defensive backs. So um, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know where you want to go from here. Do you have any anything else you want to do predictions? I, yeah, on the on the TCU defensive front, just real quick. In addition to Hodges Tomlinson, who I do think is uh, really good. You have two other Hodge players. You have Jamoy Hodge, and then you have Johnny Hodges, who are both really good linebackers. Jamoy Hodge, obviously, is the uh, player that I think like kind of ruined the Oklahoma season with the decapitation of Dylan Gabriel and a pretty, like, I'm laughing about it, but genuinely nasty hit. And I know that he showed remorse about it, but I wanted to also give a shout-out to uh, Josh Foster from Newton, Texas, 
who as a senior has really been playing good football. Um, and Josh Foster is, it's so funny to me because that Newton team, remember James Sylvester and, um, uh, Darwin Barlow. Yeah. Darwin Barlow, but what, uh, Tamazier Brown, uh, like Josh Foster was by far of those Newton teams, like the least heralded recruit. And he's had uh, maybe outside of Darwin Barlow, like the most solid college career. Absolutely. And, I don't know, Mike. It's one of those things where I do not believe that TCU plays great team defense, to be completely honest. Like, I just don't. And it's year one, and I think that they can figure some stuff out. Obviously, Texas has made a jump. And whether, obviously, I know that some people are still out on PK, but when you look at it objectively to the jump they've made to now being, I believe, a top 25 defense in S&P Plus, right? They're clearly better. And I think TCU is capable to make that same type of jump. But when you look at it on an individual level, there are so many dudes that Gary Patterson stacked on this roster. And while I think we all agreed that a move needed to be made, um, and obviously TCU is having a ton of success for it, like you can't deny the fact that Gary Patterson and that staff loaded this roster with like straight up dudes. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, that's obviously going to be a big storyline, going to be a big uh, opportunity for you in the specific yeah. things, draft. Um, I, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to tire this week of like the Gary Patterson's got his fingerprints all over this defensive game plan. Like, he will over start two and a half. I need over two and a half is the specific thing. He will certainly have his input, but this is PK's defense. But, you know, if, if, I, don't, I just don't like the takes that, like, well, it's basically like me um, when I'm like, well, if I'm right, it's it's me, and if I'm wrong, it's my wife. Um, <laughs> like, that's the way people take the Texas defense. Like, if it's good, Gary Patterson's got his hands all over it. If it's bad, it's just all PK. Like, it can't be both. Yeah. Also, I should say, to me at least, the good parts of the Texas defense, the interior defensive line and the linebackers, uh, you know, that's kind of like the edges aren't to the level that maybe previous PK teams have been, but at the same time, I don't think they have the personnel and I think they're getting a lot out of Baron Sorrell, right? Gary Patterson's kind of a defensive back guy. So like, that's what I don't understand about that. I know that's a conversation for another day. Um, But I have have one more question for you. How much does the hypno toad worry you? It's, it's honestly taken up, a decent amount of my uh, game preparation. It's it, it's a savvy move from Sunny Dyke to Sunny Dykes to embrace the hypnotoad. Yeah, for those that don't know what we're talking about, it is legitimately a toad with like hypnotic eyes and like crazy uh, colors that you would see on like a poster at Spencer's Gifts that you would hang up in your college room when you smoke a lot of weed and uh, <laughs> and throw a black light on it. Like it's a, it's a wild look, but they've They've really embraced it and come on. There's some really is, action. Is Hypnotoda like Futurama reference? I have like... no clue where it came from. Um, but there are some really like interesting crossover storylines. I mean, when you consider Quentin Johnston was a former Texas commit, when you consider that Jared Wiley, who transferred from Texas to TCU, has been able to find some success in that offense. When you consider that Brian Carrington has been, uh, you know, part of this recruiting effort at TCU and is uh, kind of relentless to people on social media after they win, um, there's some some really fun crossovers here. Absolutely. 
this is very much getting ahead of myself, by the way. So again, feel free to shame me in the DMs if this is just outrageous to say. But like, there's part of me too that wants to tell people like, if Texas does end up winning, not to really, you know, take the too hard of a victory lap against TCU. Because I think that TCU, regardless of what happens this weekend, is going to end up in the Big 12 title game. Yes, they still have to play Baylor. Um and I cannot remember the other school they have to play, Mike, if you have it off the top. I've got it right here. Yeah, they've got uh, Baylor and Iowa State left up. Iowa State, who they should be. I, I'm not very impressed with Iowa State, even though they hung close against Texas. And really looking back at that game, Texas just kind of sleep, slept walk through it after Oklahoma. But, yeah, I think TCU handles Iowa State and ends up in the Big 12 title game, regardless of what happens this weekend against Texas. All right. Um, predictions? Yeah, yeah, let's get to the uh, pick starting with Texas versus TCU. Texas minus seven, Mike. Obviously, we would have loved to get it at six and a half, get the hook, but what are your thoughts? I like TCU with the points. I've got Texas winning a close one in a shootout, 41 to 40. I did what I hate when other uh, analysts uh, do this for their official predictions. I think I had it at Texas uh, 39, TCU 31. So Texas barely getting the cover. I'll roll with Texas minus seven. Obviously, I think if you're betting this game, what, just buy the half point and, you know, take the, uh, you know, little bit of an odds boost. Oklahoma minus eight at West Virginia, Mike. What are what are our thoughts? Um. Oklahoma lost again uh, in it, and I think they thought they had the ship kind of righted. Uh, turns out that uh, a lot of their old issues Shocker, popped up. Shocker, your defense isn't good. Yeah, and Dylan Gabriel, like, I don't know. If you want to say he just hasn't been the same since TCU or if this was kind of always the Dylan Gabriel we were going to get – it's, we talked about it a lot, but we didn't really know what to take from this Oklahoma team because, yeah, Dylan Gabriel lit up, you know, Tulsa and or UTEP or uh, I'm forgetting their non-card Kent State, UTEP, Kent State, Nebraska. Yeah, and and certainly that's something to look at, but we didn't really uh, didn't really know that that was this is what he is or not. So. You know, is it a thing of he just hasn't come back well from that injury, or is this kind of who he is? Does he struggle with deep accuracy, as we've heard, and does he airmail some passes? I I think going – what did you say the spread on this was again? It is Oklahoma on the road, minus 8. 11 a.m. kick in Morgantown. I do not think that uh, – Morgan uh, Morgantown gets a lot of credit for being a great atmosphere, but – this year, it seems like the fans are just completely out on Neil Brown. I, I wouldn't yeah. the place is, you know, 60 75% full. I kind of want to take Oklahoma, but I feel like that 11 a.m. In, in, in Morgantown, do they get up especially big because it's Oklahoma? Like, maybe it's, maybe it's been that way because, you know, they haven't played very well and they're, you know, it's the other teams coming in, but with it being Oklahoma and a chance to get a win over Oklahoma, does that kind of environment come back? Eight field, uh, you know what? I'll take Oklahoma in the points. I think they're, they're a double digit winner. I think you're right too. I was on, <laughs> I was on West Virginia, I think plus nine and a half against TCU. Did you remember how that game ended? It was one of the, 
Oh yeah, uh, first bad beats of the year where TCU. Uh, I think with 20 seconds left and the option to run out the clock, maybe get a false start on like a fourth and one. Um, and, offside, yeah. Yeah, and I uh, sorry, yeah, exactly. Offside, get a free play. And I think Quentin Johnston or Savion Williams just moss a defender and uh, get them to 10 points. Yeah, and Sonny Dykes was on part of my take and said basically like we were going to run the ball, but – our guys are taught in that situation. If you get the free play, go. And so they just, they took off. So, Which, great coaching. Like, <laughs> it's absolutely what you should do. Um, but at the same time, that's kind of, after winning the West Virginia money line play against Baylor earlier in the year, I was feeling revved up about the Mountaineers. I think that this is one of those, you know, this is one of those bets for me where, You've just got to, if if anybody, you've got to play Oklahoma because there just seems to be nothing as far as juice on West Virginia's side. Yeah, like I don't think, I I don't think there's a situation where Neil Brown saves his job with a win over five and four Oklahoma. And I mean, even if he beats Oklahoma and whoever they have left, they're a five win team this year. I think that if you've got, uh, and who do they have left? Let's they, see, they Oklahoma. They have Kansas State at home, which I think would more than likely be a loss. And then they travel to Oklahoma State, which we'll get to later, but uh yeah. kind of going off in Stillwater. Yeah, I yeah, I just I don't think even at six wins, even if he wins out, he saves his job. So um, you know, nothing nothing there to motivate it. I'll take Oklahoma. Next game up, Mike. Iowa State, who is one in five in the 12th conference, is a one point favorite on the road in Stillwater. I've got them at two on what I'm looking at. Um, yeah, I, God, I, I really regret saying so many times I think Oklahoma State is the most complete and best team in this conference. Um, even like leading up to the TCU game, I was like, I like TCU, I like what they've done. But I still think Oklahoma State has it all. I, it's gone to hell on them quick since that uh, forty-eight nothing. Since basically, did Texas break Oklahoma State? That's the question. <laughs> By losing, <laughs> did <laughs> listen. I, I mentioned on our preview and recap. I think how much I like Mike Gundy and what he's done at Oklahoma State, but. The people who don't like Mike Gundy in my life have been chirping me about this is the most Gundy way to finish a season of you, you know, get the win over Texas. Everybody's pumped. You're in the press conference kind of, you know, doing your thing. And then for it to unravel this way is just pretty shocking. Uh, 48 to nothing against Kansas State and then 37 to 16 against a Kansas team that was everyone's darling, but is without their best playmaker um, and just beat the pants off. There were too many excuses made by the Oklahoma state coaches, players, and fans about, Oh, well, we don't have Spencer Sanders. Kansas doesn't have Jalen, Jalen Daniel. Like what are we doing? They're playing with the backup quarterback too. Yeah. And Devin Neal, Devin Neal is terrifying. Really good. We'll talk about him next week a ton when Texas goes to uh, Lawrence. Yeah, and he went nuts in that game. By the way, I was not the biggest fan of Bryson and Blaine Green coming out of Allen. 
I think Bryson's been really good for Oklahoma State. I was about to say Bryson's a legit problem. Um, but again, they need more than him. And unfortunately, we, I think I liked him as like a high three star ish prospect, right? But Garrett Rangel just did not seem ready. Um, it's tough. I mean, that was his first start, right? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, I think you have to play him considering that again, I think I might just mention it every week. Gunnar Gundy was like physically shaking multiple times uh, against, you know, other Big 12 teams that Oklahoma State played when he had to come into action. And if you're losing with a, you know, true freshman quarterback, that's one thing. But if your son is out there getting spanked, I think that raises some other concerns too. So probably smart for Gundy to go with Rangel. I think Iowa State has shown – that even though they're not a very good team, they could still ugly it up a little bit. Um, but I I like Oklahoma State to bounce back here. Um, I think they've got to kind of get back to what they've done well. And even without Spencer Sanders, Iowa State's just been so hapless at times. I'll take Oklahoma State in this one. I'm going to pick a side too, but if you have to play anything on this game, I think under 40. Under, yeah. Under 48 and a half is absolutely the move. If you can get an Oklahoma State team total under that uh, makes you happy, it would probably be priced around like 23 and a half just off the top of my head, right? With the one point uh, or two point favorite for Iowa State, you know, in the 48 uh, and a half total, right? It was like a 23 17 game. No, No joke. Iowa State is capable of this. We saw it with Kansas State earlier this year. At, uh, I think the final score was 10 to 9. If this score was like 8 to 5 somehow, I would not blink. No, or if it was even like 8 to 5 is a weird number. Like obviously a safety's thrown in there and stuff. But if it was 7 6 or 9 6 or something like that. It, I, I'm, ta- I'm tr- going to try to take the cheese without getting caught in the trap. It's an ugly game. Give me the home dog in in, in, a, in a game where I legitimately think you could have less than like 20 points scored. Two points is actually a lot. So give me Oklahoma State plus two. But again, that's a hold your nose and, and put the ticket in bet. Um, Baylor, two and a half point favorite with number 19 Kansas State looking for a bounce back. Both teams six and three. A pretty big, uh, not pretty big, a monumental game as far as Big 12 standing go with both teams tied for second at four and two. Yeah, Baylor at home. Does Kansas State get it figured back out? Like, I I still don't know what Baylor is. Like, they beat Oklahoma, but, you know, these days, who doesn't? Um, I, I think... I, I would assume that they're like back fully on Adrian Martinez. I mean, he he played healthy last week, did enough. I don't think we're going to see any quarterback questions, right? They should. I know that that's not what you're asking, but they really should, man. Like, yeah. The fact that Adrian Martinez, and we didn't mention this in the recap, and I wrote it down in my notes, but I just didn't mention it. The fact that times he was able to like arm punt throws past the first down sticks and complete them, like – I said it in the pregame. I really think Will Howard is a lot better than he is. It's just Kleiman likes the added element of the run at QB. And obviously uh, Martinez is, you know, as Texas saw at times, it's much more deadly than Howard. But again, 
I don't know, man. I think that Howard just distributes the ball so much better to the weapons. Um, but like you said, likely going to be Martinez on the road. Baylor's defense is just not what it was last year, and I think that's a big part of it. And I think losing um, Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie has like really kind of taken the heart and soul out of that defense. Um, they are ni- 93rd in total yards. They're 142nd in passing yards. They're 72nd in rushing. They're 186th in points. They're 180th in third down percentage on defense. Like those are pretty bad numbers for what, you know, a team that relied on running the ball and playing defense last year. That said, like Kansas State is kind of equally as bad on defense. And um, Baylor has a tad more explosive offense. So if forced to make a pick here, I kind of like a shootout. Uh, a shootout by Kansas State Baylor turn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I knew what you meant too. That's so funny you said that because I was gonna say you're, you're talking about like a 29-27. Yeah, I was thinking more like 32 to 20 or 28 yeah. or something like that. But which would hit the over. Yeah, I'll give I'll take Baylor uh at home. I don't think you can go wrong on a side personally. I kind of just feel strongly that Kansas State's going to get it done. I would go Kansas State money line plus one twenty. That's that would be that would be my play. Baylor's schedule is just oddly backloaded. Mm-hmm. I think they have the it, maybe they are included in this, but I kind of think they have the three best teams in the Big Twelve um, with their final three games, right? In Kansas State, TCU, and Texas. Yeah, and so. To credit, for Baylor's credit, I do think that Jeff Grimes is a very good head coach. I think Eric Mateos, the offensive line coach and run game coordinator, I believe, is very smart. I love what they're doing with Belleville's Richard Reese at running back and Squirrel Williams, who had one of the smartest plays of the college football weekend uh, last week, right? But at the same time, I was on Oklahoma State money line when the Cowpokes came to Waco earlier this year. I was on BYU when the Cougars, who are not a very good team, beat Baylor in a, I think, uh, after dark matchup, right? Part of me just kind of thinks that Baylor might be more of a product of not so great Big 12 teams that they've been able to punk. And you know what? You've talked me into it. I'm switching my pick. I'm going Kansas State. I see Plus two and a half. Yeah, and Deuce Vaughn just having a, a him being the difference because because Mike, you're right that their defense is not at the like they're well coached because Dave Aranda is a good coach, right? But they're not the same unit that we saw last year with all these NFL you know bodies and on offense. While Blake Shapen, I think probably is best uh, described as like solid to at times good. And obviously Monterey Baldwin and a bunch of those athletes have been making a lot of plays, but at the same time, they have losses against West Virginia, like in BYU. And I don't know. I'm just not completely sold on Baylor. So that's, that's my pick. Kansas. Yeah. State, you've, my- you've talked me into it. I'm, I'm going to go with him. The element of Baylor getting a road win against Oklahoma, which I think probably, yeah, even for Texas and me especially, the win over Oklahoma feels so much better than it should if you're just looking at it on paper, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Kansas State with a close game that I'm sure their coaching staff feels like, you know, they were in a position to win, especially in the second half. I, I you know, I might be completely wrong, but 
that's the game that I feel the best about. And then finally in the Big 12 slate, Kansas, a three and a half point dog going on the road to Lubbock as Joey McGuire's Texas Tech Red Raiders look for their third Big 12 win. Yeah, it's gone rough for Joey since proclaiming that the Big 12 runs through Lubbock, which I defended, and I will continue to defend Joey because he's a friend. But um, I I think that... Quarterback health, I think, has kind of done text. Health has, but my criticism of them is, like, they get in critical situations, and it's like, well, let's put Donovan Smith in. And you're doing that to yourself. Like that's, you know, if I think they've got to, this was a year where like, once it kind of got away from you after, uh, after that Texas game and you went to Baron Morton and Oklahoma and Stillwater, you have to start saying for the future, let's get Baron Morton as much experience as he can so that next year we come in just firing with him. And I know that he, Baron Morton has battled injuries, but he should have been the guy from the jump. And I think that if they could do it all over again, he would be the guy from the jump. And I mentioned it earlier this year, but God, that is a tough pill to swallow for Texas fans, considering who I view as probably the second best quarterback on that roster put up like 400 yards of offense against Texas. And again, S&P Plus had it as a you know, 98% post-game win probability for Texas. There was a ton of fluky stuff, especially the fourth down conversions in that game, right? But, like, in general, that's a sour spot. I'm backing Texas Tech here, oddly enough, even though Kansas is uh, much better against the spread on the year. Um, Kansas, sneaky one of the darlings, uh, ATS. They are 7-1-1 one, and one against the spread with that push coming in a TCU game where, again, they lose their best player. And Texas Tech, 4-5 uh, on the season, 4-5 against the spread. Yeah, I, the, in, um, I think I'm this with you. It's a gut feeling for me that Texas Tech gets it done. They blew out West Virginia earlier this year at home. And while I don't think that they'll blow out Kansas because Kansas is such an intriguing test offensively, I do think that they they get three and a half. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, I'll take Tech as well. Mike, our uh, favorite recurring segment of picking Texas A&M will be coming up after this break from our sponsors. All right, we are back on the Talking Texas podcast. Texas A&M, a one-and-a-half-point dog against Auburn on the road. Interim head coach Cadillac Williams uh, <laughs> getting one-and-a-half against Jimbo Fisher's Aggies is pretty funny. Um, to quote um, an A&M reporter, how cool is that? Yeah, how cool is that? Um, I do love – I mean, as an old-school, like, Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown watcher, seeing him as the head coach, even for an interim period, is pretty neat. Cadillac had the boys playing against Mississippi State last week. That's not a bad team on the road that they took to overtime. So I don't know. Uh, I'm struggling for a storyline. We're just kind of doing this bit out of sight now. And I've gone cold on the AM trail. I think I had, did I? I think have to bounce back, right? Yeah. It's like, well, and I also, were we aware of as much of the flu stuff last week when we did the picks? Yes. Uh, okay. Certain- friend let us know pretty early in the week which was great for me uh <laughs> as far as you know getting some insider knowledge i can't remember who i i think i picked AM, didn't i last week yeah because again like i think it closed let me check what it was that closed 
It closed. It ended up being a one point spread. I've gone from just being like dead on with them to like chasing now. Um, and now I'm in a spot where I'm like, okay, they've got to bounce back this week. Um, they've just got too much talent. And I'm terrified of that proposition because on one hand, it's like Auburn's dead in the water. They've, you know, maybe Cadillac had him going last week, but can he sustain that? But then it's on the road. Man, I. You want me to give you my pick first? Yeah, I do. I want you to talk me into something here because I, I either talk me in or talk me out of something because I'm, I'm honestly, uh, I wouldn't, if I was betting this, I wouldn't bet it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that needs to be clear, too. This is just us doing a fun picks against the spread segment. Not all of these games are, you know, any sort and, of betting advice. And by the way, I think I if I like a bet, I like the under. Under 48. Listen, I bet <laughs> it would be a rich man if you bet A&M unders and A&M team total unders this year. Because I think other than one game, they've been held under 24 points and something crazy like you know, 15 out of their last 16. Um, yeah, they've hit they've hit 28 points as their high mark this season against FBS competition. Yeah, it's uh, it's that is uh, sobering. They scored they scored 17 against Miami. Yeah, and had a like short field, I believe, for one of the scores. Okay, what's your play here? If Brian Harson was still the coach, I'd be all over a And M. But because Cadillac Williams is the coach and there seems to be just more juice for Auburn, I think that they're actually going to uh, fill out Jordan Hare and it's a night game. Plus, while I think we agree that he is a extremely talented quarterback, all jokes aside about Texas A&M, we both view Connor uh, Weigman as a you know really good quarterback prospect, but Mike – Traditionally, when you look at it against the spread, quarterbacks on their first road start are not very good. We saw it earlier this year with uh, Quinn Ewers, too, and obviously the neutral site, um, you know, he did well in. But your first road start is really tough, especially in an environment like that, right? So where if Brian Harson was there and the fan base was still pissed off and, you know, maybe not showing up to games and you have the ironic jeers, but because they're kind of playing for – you know, just pride at this point, and they have a legend at head coach. That, in addition to the fact that Auburn plays pretty good defense for the most part, and, and the offense with Robbie Ashford and Tank Bigsby kind of showed some signs alive against Mississippi State. I'm on the Tigers. Yeah, you've. I was coming in here just prepared to keep chasing a And M. Like it's got to, it's got to hit at some point, right? Um, you've talked me out of that. I'll, I, I'm with you. I, I, if this was at home, I would be on it. If it was in college station, I, I, I would be on it. Um, I think that the road start is, is the key factor there. So I'll take Auburn. Hey, uh, next weekend they play UMass. I mean, look, I saw some questions on our and board of if they were capable of, of beating UMass. So yeah, uh, yikes. Um, across the nation, just really quickly, Alabama minus 12 at Ole Miss. Um, I, I think I kind of lean Alabama here in a bounce-back situation. Ole Miss is pretty uh, run-heavy, and I think that while Alabama isn't the defense of old, I think that they'll be able to fit the run against a really creative Ole Miss attack. 
Did you see Kiffin came out and was like, I don't want to hear about the Savings, the dynasty is done stuff. He's probably so pissed that that narrative's out there the week that <laughs> Alabama's coming to play them. I, I, I really have grown on Kiffin. Um, like, calling it goat fuel, he accidentally committed a minor NCAA violation being petty where he, I don't know if you saw this, he tweeted out the Anthony Hill decommitment story. Really? Just posted a link to the ESPN article. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is just so clearly a violation and he deleted it. But and it's like, like dog, you could have just retweeted one of the million stories that were written. Exactly. About. <laughs> Lane wanted the screenshot out there and I appreciate him for it. I think it's hysterical. Obviously it's happening. If it's happening to your school, you don't think it's funny, but at the same time, I don't know. I it's, pretty great um, this is um in tuscaloosa or in oxford it's in oxford and it is a 230 cbs game you know what give me give me uh Ole miss to cover love it probably one of my favorite games of the weekend also at 230 tulane at home a top 25 matchup against ucf tulane minus one minus one and a half i love willie fritz and the boys give me tulane yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I'm a big Willie Fritz fan. I like. I, I don't know what his next, like, what the next level is for him. I'm trying to think, like, what jobs would open that you're like, I like Willie Fritz for this job. Um, I, I honestly, Mike, I feel like for the past two or three uh, coaching carousel cycles, I've been begging a group of, uh, sorry, a Power Five team to go after him. Like when Oregon State opened, I was all about yeah. Him. When Kansas State opened, I think, and obviously they made a good hire with Kleiman, right? But I don't know. It just feels like somebody needs to take the shot on him. And I understand that maybe he doesn't want to leave, you know, Louisiana. Tulane is a sneaky, great place. And yes, this is the most success they've had in a while and with him at the helm. But at the same time, being based in New Orleans, having academic prestige to sell to recruits, um, just the natural recruiting base that they have. They're easily able to get kids from Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, East Texas. We see with a couple Carthage boys on the roster, right? So I don't know. I just really like, I just really like Tulane. And yeah, I, I, I think that more than anything, um, the green wave are probably kicking themselves just a little bit that they, uh, you know, dropped a game earlier this year to Southern Miss, who, you know, is a, Solid team, but at five and four on the year, you know, just probably uh, it's just something they're regretting. Yeah, um, I, I'll be. I'll, I'm with Tulane on you on this as well. I just, I, I really like, uh, really like him. Washington with a um, out of state rivalry matchup against Oregon. Oregon, you want to talk about an analytics darling because if you factor out that Georgia. Um, game and obviously if you could remove every worst result from team schedule they would be better not groundbreaking analysis but I think people are kind of understanding that 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 maybe is more of a one-off compared to how good Georgia is than Oregon being bad and they've just rolled since they are a 13 and a half point favorite against seven and two Washington at home in a six o'clock Fox kickoff 
Yeah, I. It's tough. It's it's probably unfair to hang this on them because it is a uh, like brand new coaching staff and everything. I just have a hard time trusting Washington in these big games. I think Oregon's been really good. I Bo Nix was like such a punchline for people, but Bo Nix is has been going this year. Yeah, man, Mike. It, it seems like if you get a five star, you know, rated talent out of a potentially toxic situation. Like we just talked about Auburn, but at the same time, I think it's pretty fair to say that he was kind of uh, a scapegoat for a lot of Auburn fans. And I think you're just seeing with Oregon. And I know that earlier this year, we were kind of critical of Kenny Dillingham, but you have to give credit where it's due. He's really got this offense firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I like 13s a lot, Um, but at Oregon, I like it. Uh, in Corval or not Corvallis, uh, Eugene in Eugene. Um, yeah, I'll to give me Oregon and give me the 73. Uh, give me the under in that game. I like it. I'm also on Oregon, Oregon seven to two, seven and two against the spread. Um, again, if you factor out that Georgia result, seven and one against the spread. Washington four and five ATS. Their probably biggest matchup of the year was against UCLA, where they were a two and a half point favorite on the road. A lot of people were on UC. I think the public was pretty heavy on UCLA in that game because people just didn't realize at the time how good the Bruins were, and Washington was a little bit overvalued uh, following a Michigan State result, which is hysterical um, in hindsight. Yeah, uh, yeah. I bet they want that. One. Everybody's got. It seems like everybody's got one of those on their record that they'd like back. Texas with Tech, and uh, I bet Washington with Michigan State for sure. Um, are you? Uh, do you have any more games on the slate? Are you going to hear a couple I'm interested in? I have one more because I think it's just a hysterical line, um, and I already made a play on it earlier in the week. Earlier in the week, I got LSU minus two and a half at Arkansas. Oh, yeah, that feels like free money. It is minus three and a half right now. And again, I've seen so many people say, well, it's, uh, you know, minus three and a half LSU. That doesn't make sense. So obviously you need to be on Arkansas. I don't know, man. Like Arkansas straight off of the Liberty result. And yes, the Liberty Flames are a good, uh, you know, group of five team, obviously. But at the same time, Brian Kelly does not strike me as a coach that has these horrible letdown games yeah i yeah i don't think so and they've kind of got it cooking now um a little bit i we've all been critical of brian kelly as far as fit and all that but i mean the man could coach as uh as jeff trailer would say he is a ball coaching jesse yeah um also i'd be all over lsu there quick apology to Jaden daniels who Struggled at the beginning of the season, wasn't getting through his progressions on time. I just was not seeing the fit. Obviously, big fan of Garrett Nussmeyer, who's their backup, right? So that played into some of it. But, I mean, he hit – Jaden Daniels hit his stride, I think, midway through the Mississippi State game and has not looked back. 14-1, to touchdown-to-interception ratio, dynamic on the ground, made clutch plays for them in a massive matchup against Alabama. He deserves a ton of praise. And, again – like we are not an LSU show, obviously. And like growing up in Southeast Texas, some of my friends are LSU fans, slightly annoying fan base, probably the same type of annoyance that like Texas fans get with some Arkansas uh, 
people in the DFW area, right? Where they're just kind of that sub-regional um, yeah. SEC team. But at the same time, we might talk about Harold Perkins every week because he is just so freaking good. Yeah, he's so – and they're they're using him in the right ways. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But oh, different- we were – we were sharp pre-Bama because did you see the stat that he had 20 snaps at edge, 20 as a box linebacker, and 20 at nickel in that game? Yeah, they're deploying him in different ways. They have it, you know, fit him in a box. They're they're playing a guy that can play at all three levels of the defense at all three levels. You just that don't see insane. it a lot. That is insane. Like, who's the last guy at the college level that was this successful doing that? Maybe Isaiah Simmons? Yeah, I like maybe Jabril Peppers was at two of the levels. He couldn't obviously you didn't want him on the edge or anything, but oh my um, God. that's what Harold Perkins reminds me of. Is a Jabril when, Peppers when type. Did we go, when did we go on our big Harold Perkins tangent? Was it about Jelani McDonald being yes? Okay, being a version. I I wouldn't say no. He is Harold no, Perkins, but I think that you could describe that s- similar fit as because you both kind of said that. Like Harold Perkins, if everything, you know, if he stays focused and is, you know, all football, is probably one of the best defensive prospects we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, he was so good in high school. Mike, when we're talking. He was also legitimately, like, could have been a five-star running back. That's what I was about to say, too. That's the thing. When we talk about these, uh, you know, two-way snaps and people kind of think, oh, yeah, this is just these evaluation cliches. Like, you're seeing why it matters. Like, being able to be a functional athlete in space is kind of above all at the second and third levels of the defense. And the fact that Harold is good enough to legitimately play edge and, like, take on, just because of his crazy athleticism, offensive linemen in the run game and kind of fit the run effectively there, too. Like, we're talking about a really special player, like, (laughs) <laughs> looking at Arkansas, what answer does Arkansas have on offense other than KJ Jefferson for anything else you can? Who hasn't been very good, frankly, since being injured. I yeah, mean, exactly. I... Like he's dealing with some injuries and it stinks for him because I do think he's a good player, but it is what it is, right? Yeah. Uh quickly, because we're kind of getting up against it here. I gotta oh, run absolutely. to I gotta run to a game, but two ACC games that stick out to me, North Carolina Wake and then Florida State Syracuse. Um, I, am I crazy to think that Syracuse gets Florida State at home? Florida State, a seven-point favorite going into the Carrier Dome? It just feels like a no-play for me. I do not Yeah, I mean, it's... Syracuse. If you were if, you, if For the show, I think I would take Florida State minus seven, but that's another hold-your-nose bet because I just – I don't trust Florida State, but I especially don't trust Syracuse just – you know some of their situational play calling against, and I and I do like. Um, oh, why am I blanking on his name? He's he was the Eastern Illinois head coach, this current Syracuse head coach that's from the Bryles tree. Oh, it's not Dino. Dino's not. Yeah, it is Dino. Yeah, Dino. yeah. yeah um, I, I do like him as a coach, but at times with Syracuse, they just leave something to be desired. And you know, Florida State's solid. I mean, they. <laughs> Pummeled Miami, which is an entirely different discussion. I mean, come on. We could, we could spend 45 that's, minutes. That's not a data point. Um, yeah. Florida State might be solid, but it's not because they pummeled Miami. Um, I don't really care about Wake in North Carolina, especially because Wake's had the, no- the so sheet knocked out of them. Um, but I really just wanted to bring this up because you've been a big fan of him all year. Should Drake May be getting more Heisman love? 
31 touchdowns, three interceptions, nearly 3,000 yards passing, 513 yards on the ground with four touchdowns. Mike, peeling back the curtain, when we were in October and November last year and we were texting, other than Quinn Ewers, who was the guy that I kept on saying, this was a former Steve Sarkeesian commit. If he doesn't, uh, you know, if he doesn't like it at North Carolina, they should absolutely put out some. Yeah. Which, by the way, like just, Remember that, that he was originally committed to Alabama. Mac flipped him. It was kind of one of Mac's like first big moves when he got to North Carolina. Major flex. He, he obviously probably, I mean, he wouldn't be playing, but imagine when Bryce Young got hurt this year. Okay, yeah. we'll just go to Trey <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what, in, if you're listening to this, if that doesn't fire you up about Steve Sarkeesian, I kind of don't know what will. The fact that he just consistently identifies his guys and ends up getting them on campus at quarterback, like he clearly has the eye for it. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, so I don't really have thoughts on the game. I think we, we expected Wake to be a better team this year uh, yeah. than they have been. They had some public losses. But let's talk about how neat Drake May is. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be a competition. I'll just say it for Quinn Ewers and Caleb Williams as the number one pick. And, yeah, people are going to be, I think, a little bit skeptical on North Carolina quarterbacks after Mitch Trubisky failed as most people thought he would. This ain't that. No, Mitch Trubisky was kind of similar to a uh, tobacco road rival Daniel Jones in that neither of them had the college production or success. Drake May's putting up numbies. Like, really. He's going to have, like, two full years of it. I think Mitch had, what, like – 11 games or something. Exactly. Also, this just speaks to why talent acquisition matters, especially like your in-state talent acquisition, because Drake May, I don't know if you know this, Mike, he went to, I believe, Myers Park in Charlotte, which is kind of like the Charlotte version of Highland Park to Dallas or Alamo Heights to um, San Antonio, but like is traditionally one of the big North Carolina powerhouse programs. I don't know. Just, uh, I just saw it on Twitter. Um, Another big name added to the list this weekend, uh, 2024, I believe. Carson, he's a Long Beach Poly linebacker. Dylan Williams uh, will be in town. Nice. Um, there might have been another one, too, while we've been recording. Anyway, we've got to get out of here because Mike has to get on the road. He is going to Austin to see Texas commit Colton Vostick and, uh, you know, potential flip candidate Jaden Gray. <sighs> And if this were a live show, I'd be soliciting like places to eat near Westlake right now, but I guess I could just ask Hudson. I actually don't know a great place in Westlake that's like quick enough for a pregame meal. Yeah. Westlake Hills, I should say. I think so. Maybe just find uh maybe just find a Whataburger and call it a day. All right. Uh anything else you want to do, Hudson? Nah, let's get out of here. Appreciate everybody for listening. Obviously still a bit of a long show, but not a three-hour gargantuan-like state of recruiting. Um, Texas takes on TCU. If you are planning on going to the game, I'd say absolutely get there early, and I think parking is going to be a little bit of a nightmare this weekend. So plan accordingly, um, and there are going to be a lot of recruits in attendance. Make sure to keep up with us on Horns 24-7. If you haven't subscribed, please do. We have a visitor list with a ton of nuggets. This is the this is the week to subscribe. I'll say it. There's been a lot of weeks in the year to where maybe you could get out, get away with uh, not having a subscription. 
we're posting nearly three, four content pieces a day. There's a ton of action going on. Make sure that, uh, you know, you're getting the latest in all of your Longhorn recruiting and team needs. Uh, For Mike Roach, I'm Hudson Standish. Thanks for listening to the Talking Texas podcast.